Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by Manchester United recruitments to the recruitment of any football manager player. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Honestly, Justin, Man United's recruitment over the past few days has infuriated me so much. I know this is a championship podcast, but we're going to sidetrack straight from the off. Seven and a half million for a 33-year-old in any respect would be ridiculous. But when it's Marco Arnautovic as well, I know that move isn't happening anymore. But honestly, I actually think, I genuinely think I could do better at recruiting for Man United. Even just identifying players, um, it would be you'd, you'd be much better at it. I, I, I'd um, I'd back you. Onatovic is essentially an, an elite Nicholas Bentner, isn't he? That's all he is, and he just controversy controversy follows him around. A mega player who's overrated or mega elite overrated player. Yeah, weird one, really weird. Dartboard stuff, isn't it? I'm not really sure he's even an elite Bentner because calling him an elite Bentner is more of a compliment than I think he deserves. He's a good player. Uh-huh. But just not Manchester United and twenty million for Adrian Rabiot. They let Podba go to Juve for free. Yeah. Then they signed him back from Juventus for a world record fee. Then they've let him go back to Juventus for a free. And now they're spending twenty million on the player who's going to be back up to Paul Pogba. It doesn't it's make bit, any sense, Justin. It's a bit thick. All a bit thick, isn't it? They they honestly could sign championship players and it would be better business, wouldn't it? Honestly, mm-hmm. seven and a half million could get you in the championship a better option than a thirty-three-year-old who's over the hill. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. There are plenty of players I can think of. Uh, I mean, I, I'd, I'd have paid that for Jed Wallace, even for Man United. Absolutely, I'm, I'm John Swift thinking, as they, well. If they need a striker, Joel Pirro. Yeah. Obviously, Swansea fans would Emmanuel want a bit Dennis. more than they'd want a bit more than eight million, but still, at least he's got potential to be a regular Premier League goal scorer. Yeah, spot on. And the fact there's Emmanuel Dennis who's available for twenty twenty five million pounds as well. It's, it's beggar's belief. It really is. It's um, yeah. It's it's got to be like a nine year old running it. Surely it, it must be. It must be. Or maybe it's as you say a dartboard where they're. Or have you ever seen the Simpsons where not the Simpsons South Park? Sorry, where they have some manatees who writes Family Guy for them and they just pick balls out of a net. <laughs> I honestly think that's what's happening with Manchester United. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, this is a championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Welcome along. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to be starting off the podcast this week by talking about West Brom v Watford and, of course, that goal from Ishmael Assar. But we'll talk about the game as a whole. Look ahead to some of the games coming up in the championship this coming weekend. Talk about some of the news from the past few days and then finish off with a good old game of did he or didn't he. But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus, please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. So, a wonder goal from his own half by Ishmael Assar led to Watford winning a point away at West Brom. We'll talk about the game shortly, Justin, but (laughs) what a moment. It was uh, audacious to say the least, wasn't it? It was absolutely uh, super. I don't know. I don't think there's any word you can use to describe it um, that wouldn't do it any justice. 
Um, it was just an unreal strike, an unreal thinking. And we, we, we can talk about the goal, but the fact that he brought the ball down as well, beautiful touch to set himself up, one touch inside and sees Button off his line and bang. It was, uh, yeah, just oozing over it. And to do that in a second game of the season as well, you've got to be, you've got to have some quality and confidence to do that. Yeah, the technique to hit it so flat mm. and accurately with so much pace as well is ridiculous. Honestly, words fail me because <laughs> I, I just don't think you can put it... If you haven't seen the goal yet, I don't know how you haven't seen it, but you've got to search it out because it is just a moment of pure genius from Ishmael Assar. And he doesn't think twice about hitting it, does he? David Button yeah. is quite a way off his line, but not miles off. He's not so obviously off his line that you're thinking, well, you'd be a fool not to shoot. But still to execute it is just so impressive. Is that goal of the season wrapped up for you already, Justin? Uh, well, that was a very good thread on the uh, on our Twitter feed. There's been so many, hasn't there, goal of the season contenders? But I think if you... Yeah, I think already it, it, it'll be up there. It's going to be hard to beat. You've got to do something special. I mean, I'd, I'd certainly back Alex Mount to do something special. Um, but you've got to be a very, very good footballer to top that goal this season. You really have. I'm struggling to think... Oh. Well, in the time that we've done the podcast, Justin, I think this has been the best goal that we've seen in the championship, isn't it? So if there is going to be anything that tops it this season, it's going to have to be something pretty miraculous. But I I don't really know how you can top it without doing something, you know, that we can't even explain. It's a just a got boner. to be a boner from your own half or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, it's going to take something incredible to really top that goal but what a what a strike by Ishmael Assar and the ironic thing is that he missed a penalty um, so he could score from behind the halfway line but not from 12 yards out Justin yes yeah, uh, <laughs> it would have been uh, well it is, it is quite funny um, not funny for him um, but it is it is quite amusing the fact that he can he can beat Button from 40 50 60 yards but uh, yeah not 12 um, he's missed quite a few of his last penalties as well, so it's quite a surprise to see him see him on the spot kicks. But um, yeah, it's it, it's sort of law, sort of law. Did see by the way, David Button has saved seven of his last twenty championship penalties, which isn't a bad record at all, is it? But the pe- let, let's just have a quick moment to talk about that penalty because it was bad, wasn't it? As far as on target penalties go, it doesn't get much worse than that, really, does it? Yeah, I think when you run up slowly like that, you're anticipating the goalkeeper twitching and diving and telling you where he's going to go. But unfortunately, David Button went the same way. So the technique obviously did not work um, because Saar passed it straight to Button. Um, so yeah, you, you, you've got to go the opposite way. Maybe you should call up Lyle Taylor and ask him how it's done because Lyle Taylor, you know, not to big anybody up, Lyle Taylor genuinely is the master at penalty uh, mind games he is the best at it uh, so maybe he can lend lend a hand I think Watford fans may be missing the days of Troy Deeney just, <laughs> just power driving it. it down the middle <laughs> um, I also love the minute by minute commentary from one website which said David Button is stranded way out of his goal and Ishmael Assar is the simplest of tasks to <laughs> keep the ball into an empty net which uh, I thought was a bit harsh to say the very least but 
some people are just hard to impress, I suppose. The remarkable thing about this game, Justin, well, aside from the goal, which I suppose is as remarkable as it gets, the other remarkable thing is Watford weren't great in this game, were they? And either side of that goal, it, they didn't really have much of a shout in the game at all, did they? And it would have been outrageous for them to get three points from this if Saar had tucked away that penalty. It would have been very West Brom as well, wouldn't it? Obviously, with the, the chances that they missed and Daniel Backman was in inspired form. But yeah, it really wasn't a good performance from Watford. I know a lot of Watford fans have said this is probably the game where you go, right, Rob Edwards needs backing. There's a lot of holes in this team and it's shown it's shown in this game. Um, and I think the differences in between Watford, uh, sorry, West Brom and Sheffield United is West Brom will attack a lot more. Obviously, they're at home as well. They'll take the onus to to any team that comes to them. And they've got two of the best wingers. I mean, Grady Dean Garner was fantastic. We'll get on to him in, uh, a bit later on. Uh, and Dean Garner and Wallace, two of the best wingers in the league. They're going to put crosses in the box. They're going to get through you. Um, and Watford showed that they had weaknesses in their team. The midfield was, was bypassed very often. And um, they struggled to create uh, a reasonable amount of chances. The likes of Emmanuel Dennis couldn't get in their stride. Jao Pedro had moments and they really looked more dangerous on the counter-attack, which is fine, but they conceded way too many chances and that's, that would be the main worry for Watford. Yeah, you always get a good indicator of how your team performs when your goalkeeper is man of the match because Daniel mm. Backman made some really important stops. I actually watched the game and then watched the highlights again afterwards and completely forgot about some of the stops that Backman made because there was the one in the first half in particular where it's from point blank range I think mm. it was Carl and Grant Backman to stop that is you know it, it, it really should be a goal quite frankly yeah. so yeah Backman 100% kept Watford in this game but the midfield was non-existent were they they just didn't have any impact on the game at all and got completely overran by the West Brom midfielders and that's a massive concern for me because the only times Watford ever got into the opposition half was through a direct ball to the front men who kind of just stretched the defence. So for the midfield to basically have no impact at all indicates to me that Watford have got to strengthen in that area. But the biggest concern of all would be if they were to sell Saar and Dennis or one of the two before the transfer window ends then I feel like they're really, really going to be lacking options going forwards. So, yeah, the centre midfield, uh, centre midfield, I think, is an area Watford definitely need to look at strengthening whether um, those either of those two stay. Um, because otherwise, if the wing-backs are penned back as much as they were in this game, then they haven't really got anything to offer, have they? And that's ultimately mm -hmm. the story of the game. Uh, but I was certainly encouraged by West Brom, Justin, uh, and I've been encouraged by their first couple of games, actually. Jad Wallace was just quality, wasn't he? Against Watford, he put in so many brilliant deliveries and has so far fairly seamlessly taken his Millwall form with him to the Hawthorns. Anti John Swift was also a great player, some really nice passes. I mean, even Grady Dean Garner impressed me against Watford. He looked dangerous. Something... It's not really been said about him too much over the past couple of years. And they defended brilliantly too. Colin Grant led the line really well. Probably should have got himself on the score sheet. Um, apart from, obviously, the goal that he scored. Should have got himself on the score sheet twice, I should say. Um, but overall, yeah, I've liked what I've seen from West Brom, despite them not winning so far this season. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing is they're obviously they're creating a lot of chances and that just lends into last season a little bit where they underperformed in front of goal. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen now, but... 
um, they do need to put chances away. Two one-one draws. It's a good start. You know, you're coming up against a Middlesbrough team that are quite strong and then will be strong at home as well. You get you take a point, you take a point away from the Riverside, and you come up against Watford, who again strong team coming down from the Premier League, coming off the back of a one-nil win. You'll take a you'll take a one-nil uh, sorry one-one draw in that game as well. So two 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 you know half decent results against promotion contenders. Um, you'll definitely take, but. It could have been a lot more. I guess that's a disappointing thing. But also the encouraging thing from West Brom, the fact that they are creating chances against these strong teams. Middlesbrough will be strong defensively this season. Watford, we know, will be quite strong defensively this season as well. So the fact that being able to create as many chances as they have um, would be really encouraging. And they they have that ability to mix the game up. As you said, Dean Garner was fantastic. They got the threat through the central area with John Swift picking up positions. Don't think he had as much of an impact in this game as he did against Middlesbrough. But there's still a different facet there to their to their attack um, compared to a very one-dimensional attack under Valerie and Ishmael last season. So they've got options, they've got variety. Maybe that clinical number nine missing, but obviously DK's there. He may or may not be injured for a while. Um, but Carlin Grant is certainly able to step up. So yeah, it's, it's it's an encouraging couple of games from West Brom's perspective, and one that will make you think, okay, maybe they can sustain a top six challenge but they've just got to find the net regularly and find that confidence in doing so. Yeah, good early signs for the Baggies. One thing that is worth mentioning, though, is they, in their first three games, are playing promotion contenders. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against teams they should be beating, because that was an issue with them last season, dropping points against sides they should be getting three points against. Just then, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the games coming up in the Championship this weekend, then go on to some of the news from the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Let's look ahead to some of the games coming up in the Championship this weekend then, JP. On Friday night, it's Watford v Burnley. This is the last of Watford's hellish start to the season. The games ease up after this. So, for me, out of the six sort of teams everyone is expecting to challenge for promotion this season, I'd say these two are the ones which have impressed me the most so far. Is that the same for you, Justin? Um, I think we've seen two different performances from both of these sides. I think their first games, Watford really professional against Sheffield United. Um, their front three was you know, very dangerous and they showed their quality. Burnley, very good against Huddersfield. They were f- fine against Luton but struggled to break down that stubborn defence. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they readapt to a team with Premier League quality in their, in their side. Um, so I wouldn't say I've been really impressed with both of those sides um, but they have impressed me in, 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 in parts which is what makes this game all the more intriguing and all the more interesting because Watford have had really difficult tests and obviously Burnley have come up against Luton who sat back so this this is a fresh test for Burnley um, whereas for Watford they've come up against this kind of test two times before so they might take that into into consideration when they when they go about the game and obviously they're at home as well and I know there's, we're only two games into season but Watford performed a lot better at home than they did away from home. Yeah, they definitely did, didn't they? Against West Brom away, they didn't really have much control of the game at all, whereas at home, they always looked the most likely side to win against Sheffield United. So that's the reason why I 
um, say these two are the ones who have impressed me the most out of the six so-called promotion contenders. Um, Burnley just continue to be amazed by the difference in the style of play and the way they've dictated games so far. I think I saw that they've had the second most possession so far this season out of all the teams in the Championship, which I don't think many people would have expected when they got relegated last season, but here we are. Um, but Watford need to make sure they put their foot on the game, don't they? And don't let Burnley control it because what we've seen from Burnley so far is they love to hold on to the ball. Watford will be in trouble if the game ends up being similar to Monday night where they get completely overrun in midfield. The wing-backs aren't able to offer much width because they're having to sit back and defend and that leaves the front three having to just try and get on the end of anything that they can up top. Um, whereas Burnley will be happy to control the game um, whether it leads to them actually breaking Watford down will be another story Justin what do you think yeah I'm going to disagree with that I think that a game might suit Watford a little bit more just thinking about the two games so far they've looked more dangerous on the counter-attack the goal against Sheffield United came on the counter-attack albeit from a really bad set piece from Sheffield United Justin 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 it's fine being more comfortable on the counter-attack but when you have basically no say in the game like they did on Monday night then that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you there. But again, when you've got a star forwards in Saar, Dennis and, and Pedro offering what they do on the counter-attack, you're going to be much ha- happier out of possession because you can get the ball up to them quickly. Um, and in possession, I don't think the likes of Cleverly and um, uh, Kasambe are up to much anyway. So, yeah, I I would think Watford would, would be more... Would be the happier team coming into this because they know that they can, they know what they can do on the counter attack, and they've shown them what they can do on the counter attack as well. So I'm edging towards Watford for this game. On reflection, after what you've said, you've convinced me otherwise. Cheers, mate. The the counter when they played against Sheffield United, they were playing on the counter attack, but it wasn't just as they weren't as passive as they were against West Brom. So that's how to do it, and hopefully, them having home advantage will give them. Um, more of a say in how this game goes so score prediction Justin you said it's going to be Watford yeah I'm going to go for a low scoring game again I'm going to go 1-0 Watford I'll go for 2-1 Watford I'm thinking home advantage will suit them well and Burnley I'll be I mean it could go either way I'm, I'm not really really strong on Watford but Burnley will have to show more of a cutting edge than they did against Luton at the weekend. On Sunday afternoon, it's the Chris Wilder derby. Middlesbrough v Sheffield United. What do you think ahead of this one, Justin? After you've stopped sneezing. Yeah, that's good timing. <laughs> um, I, again, it's a, a really tasty one. We've had quite a few tasty fixtures, haven't we, to start the season off. I, okay. I don't know whether this has been done on purpose, but yeah, this is a really another tasty one. And again, you've got Middlesbrough who are going through the motions a little bit. Obviously, the defeat on uh, last weekend against QPR was... A bit of a surprise in how they lost. They conceded three really, really sloppy goals. Um, and Sheffield United are... They come across as the most professional team in the league in the sense of how they set up, how they go about their business. They're just a very professional team. I don't mean like a whoop-type professional. I just mean they just get the job done. And I think they'll do the same here. I think they'll set up to counter... They'll know how... I mean, Paul Hackingbottom will know how Chris Wilder will want to play. He will know the threats that are offered in the wide areas especially. Um, and the game could almost cancel itself out, but I think there's too much quality on show, especially from Sheffield United, to, for them not to get a result here. So this is going to be a very exciting game and a, and a really, really good tactical battle between Heckingbottom, who 
hasn't tried he's, he's tried to do Wilder's system but with his own spin and then Chris Wilder who is Chris Wilder well it's kind of like the teacher and the student <laughs> isn't it because Paul Heckingbottom works under Chris Wilder at Sheffield United I suspect Middlesbrough look, will look to use the wing backs while I imagine Sheffield United will want to go through the midfield getting the likes of Berger and Die on the ball as much as possible to create as many problems as they can um, whereas Middlesbrough's Bright lights so far, without a doubt, have been Ryan Giles and Isaiah Jones on the on the flanks. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Daryl Lenahan will be back for this game, despite being sent off at the weekend because his suspension meant he missed the Carabao Cup. So, I mean, that's a boost for Middlesbrough, yeah. nonetheless. Um, but Paddy McNair's coming back into the team for Borough now as well, who's good, definitely, without a doubt, going to give them that extra edge um, if he does start in this game. Um, so overall, Middlesbrough seen two sides of them really haven't they we they were quite impressive against West Brom on the opening day against QPR they had that disastrous first 40 minutes which really cost them and then it was always a big mountain for them to get back into the game wasn't it so I'm not really too sure what to expect heading into this one Justin well yeah I I think the way you can look at it is Sheffield United were they weren't bad against Watford they were just undone I think maybe perhaps a draw would have been a fair result in that game they were undone by a very swift counter-attack and they were very good against Millwall. Middlesbrough half pretty decent against um, West Brom but first half really let them down against QPR and second half they came out um, they came out ferociously Um, but in that sense I think Sheffield United are slightly ahead of Middlesbrough in terms of their squad in terms of the setup, in terms of the style of play whereas Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough have still got to go through getting players in, getting them used to playing while the system. So I am thoroughly leaning towards Sheffield United for this game based on what I've seen so far and how the squads are currently shaping up. Yeah, you have kind of persuaded me a bit, Justin. I think I'll go for a Sheffield United win, but I'm not saying that with much confidence. I think a draw will probably be the most likely result on that one. Quick score prediction? Very professional 2-0. I'll go for 1-0. Sheffield United but as I say I think a a draw is also a very distinct possibility Rotherham v Reading a game between two sides many are expecting to be fighting relegation this season Justin is this an early relegation battle do you think uh well if you if you'd listen to the podcast you'd, you'd assume so but I think this is going to be a really good game um there'll be two teams here who go at each other they'll they'll hard, they'll work hard and they'll create plenty of chances I think it's just whether or not well it just depends on how clinical either side are when you've got someone like Tom Ince in your team for example from Reading's perspective you've got a player there who can change the game on the, uh, on the flip of a coin and Rotherham have that through the likes of Daniel Barlasser um, uh, as well there's, there's quality throughout these teams it's just who can be more clinical as I say um, and I think that's where either side could uh, could come undone. Well, I think the issue here is both these teams are going to work very hard. If someone's keeping a track of the running metres of all the players on this pitch, I think it could break a record. But in terms of the actual quality on show, this could be a bit of a struggle. Because Reading, sure, they've got some talented players. You only have to look at Tom Ince's goal from the weekend to see that he has got quality. Um, and Dovi Ajari as well had a bright game at the weekend too. However, we know that Reading, we saw it against Blackpool, didn't they? They lacked that quality for them to really break good teams down. Um, and then Rotherham as well, 
they work hard, but have they got enough quality in their team to get regular results at championship level? Only time will tell with that. So, yeah, I'm not sure about this one at all. Um, I'm getting plenty of my plenty of splinters in my arse heading into <laughs> a, this weekend because I keep sitting on the fence. But I don't really know, Justin, because as I say, I, I can see both teams working very hard, battling each other to get anything from the game that they can. But I think both will lack quality. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. I think especially in Rotherham's perspective, uh, in their case, their postponement against Coventry won't help them. Um, at this stage of the season, it's all about getting minutes under your belt with the players. That continuity really, really helps. And it also gives us a little bit more of a, a wider uh, a data pool, um, in inverted commas, um, to, to, to pass judgment on them. Um, so at the minute, it's quite hard to 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 give Rotherham too much backing in this because yeah, Reading have had two games in the Championship, well, one where they were pretty poor, or they did create some chances, and one where they um, dominated Cardiff. So on that, in that sense, you'd argue that okay, maybe I'll probably lean towards Reading for this one. Um, but I think, as I say, I think it'll be um, I think it'll be a relatively open game, and Rotherham, perhaps with a little bit more in their legs, might take it to to, to Reading. I'll go for a Rotherham win, I think, Justin, purely because if Rotherham do want to have any chance of staying up this season, this is a game where they've got to be winning because it's a fellow relegation contender, in quotation marks, at home. And they need to be getting three points from this game, really. What are you thinking? I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. I think it'll be quite an open game. Um, I think Rotherham will, will go out Reading and Reading will be a little bit more clinical than Rotherham. And then finally on Sunday afternoon, it's Blackburn v West Brom. It's the team top of the championship against one of the sides expected to be up there. Uh, any thoughts on this one, Justin? Yes. Uh, it's, again, it's going to be an interesting test for John Dahl Thomas. And obviously we've seen tactically how they're going to set up. They've, they've been quite hard to beat and hard to create chances against. Um, albeit Swansea did miss quite a few uh, against them. But they have been a stubborn side. Um, and West Brom have, have exploited the wide areas very, very well so far. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how Blackburn come up against um, against West Brom and cope with that. As for West Brom, the two games we've seen, they've been very very good. It's just about being clinical, as we've as we spoken about as as we've spoken about today um, in the episode. So yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult one, but again, you know, I'm not saying Blackburn have been lucky, but can they have that look on their side where West Brom missed a chances that Swansea did at the weekend, for example, last weekend, um, or will West Brom start to convert them and, and Blackbirds sort of start to level out maybe? Swansea didn't create that many chances against them, Justin. I, I don't know what game you're on about because really it was a, a case of Blackburn just restricting Swansea to very little but then being extraordinarily clinical up the other end. And that's going to be the interesting thing for me to see whether Blackburn will continue that trend um, because West Brom won't give Blackburn many chances. But if they continue to be as a brutal in front of goal as they has been um, then it could very well be another result for John Doyle Thomason's boys but West Brom will have a job on trying to break this Blackburn team down who have been defensively excellent so far this season but as we saw in the game on Monday night boy oh boy can they whip in some balls they were dangerous <laughs> throughout the whole game Justin what are you thinking ahead of this one? Yeah it all depends whether Blackburn can handle that um, not direct approach but balls come into the box and if they can They'll see the game out and possibly get a uh, nick a one 0 win. But for me, I think West Brom will come good in this game and and, and win and win two 0 I'll go for a West Brom win. I think 
it's going to be impressive if Blackburn were to get another win on the board here. I think it'll be in very similar fashion to the games they've had so far where they've been fortunate. I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. Um, but West Brom have got enough quality here to really put the West Brom, uh, the Blackburn defence to the sword. And it's just about putting away those chances because that was an issue against Watford. But you'd have thought it shouldn't be as much of an issue as it was last season, hopefully anyway. Right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with transfers. Wigan have signed Everton striker Nathan Broadhead on loan for the season. The 24-year-old was with Sunderland last season, scoring 13 goals in 27 games. And by all accounts, the Black Cats were keen to get him back as well. Um, just what are you thinking of this one? It's a, I think it's a very smart signing from Wigan. He's a versatile forward, so he, <laughs> Wigan have a quite a few versatile forwards like so Callum Lang Will Keane they can play all across their, their front three Asgard as well um, so yeah I think he fits in quite nicely um, to what they want to do he's, he's a different forward as well he can he offers a, you know, if he plays as a number nine he offers something different to um, to Josh McGuinness and he, we did see in the Norwich game um, the ball struggled to stay uh, at, at the, the Norwich end for, for long periods of time and I think Broadhead as I say if that's the case he'll offer something in behind uh, and obviously, Sunderland wanted him uh, a hell of a lot, um, but obviously Broadhead chose the, the opportunity to go to Wigan because he knew he would get more games. And that's absolutely fair enough. So I think it's a smart signing from Wigan. And we saw last season, he was, he was very clinical. Um, if it wasn't for injuries, he probably would have, he would have absolutely scored more goals. Well, I say for certain he's a better option up front than Josh McGuinness is. He's not someone who's ever really convinced me at this <laughs> level. Sure, he runs around a lot and he can cause defenders problems when the ball's in the air but apart from that I don't think offers much else to a championship side so I'm interested to see how Broadhead does it says a lot when there were quite a few clubs not just Sunderland interested in him and I think it also says a lot that he's 24 years old now and still hanging around at Everton so they must see some sort of a player in him mm. he's in that kind of strange bracket of players who are in their mid-twenties and still hanging around at Premier League clubs. So there must be a player there. He scored a lot of goals, even though many of his appearances were off the bench for Sunderland last season. So hopefully this is a, a good move and it can click well with him and Keane playing up top together. Jack Simpson has joined Cardiff on a two-year deal. The defender moves from Rangers for an undisclosed fee. Uh, thoughts, Justin? Bit of a weird one. Um, he's, a, well, he's a ball-playing defender, so you know where... Um, Morrison wants to go with it he just comes with uh, I wouldn't say a poor reputation but fans aren't particularly disappointed to see him go at Rangers and Bournemouth fans have been very sarcastic in their replies to, to him signing for, for Cardiff but you can't really um, can't really judge him until he starts to play a few games for, for um, Steve Morrison's side so I think it's one that I'm just going to not pass too much judgement on just see how he gets on because as I say poor spells so far at both his previous sides doesn't enamour me too much, but we'll see how it goes. Well, you can't really pass judgment until he's actually played some games in general, exactly. Justin, because he's had a very strange career. He's 25 mm. years old now and has only played 29 league games in his whole career. The most league appearances he's managed in a season is nine, mm. which is quite <laughs> remarkable. I don't know how many players there are who are playing at championship level who have played nearly as many games as they are years old um, or, or the other way around rather um, 
so be 25 and in that position is very strange. So who knows if he's how good a player he actually is. I honestly haven't seen him enough to cast much of a judgment, unfortunately. And finally, Hull have brought in Tottenham goalkeeper Timotei Lotutala. The 19-year-old rejected a new contract with them, so the Tigers will have to pay compensation to Spurs. Away from transfers and onto injuries, West Brom boss Steve Bruce has admitted he may have to sign another striker after another injury to Daryl DK. The American only managed two games last season after joining in January for seven million. He then came off the bench against Middlesbrough in their first game of the season but has now picked up a thigh injury. Ridiculously bad luck, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, it is. Um, it's yeah. I'm I'm good for him and I'm good for West Brom mainly because West Brom fans haven't been able to see him properly in a in a baggish shirt. That's that's not ideal. And um, I thought he, I wouldn't say he changed the game for West Brom, but Lenahan got very uncomfortable when he came on because of the the physical threat Daryl DK offers as well as his his ability to run in behind and. His goal scoring ability as well. It's it's terribly bad luck. I did have some reservations about him this season, about him being the main man, just because of his recent injury record. And I wouldn't say this backs it up. It's just it's just it's just going for for all pies because, as I say, a fit Daryl DK is a very very exciting prospect for the championship. Yeah, he really is. Steve Bruce was even saying he's never been injured in his career mm. prior to moving to West Brom, and has now had three this year alone since joining in January. It's, it is just really bad luck because West Brom fans might not believe me because he, they've not really seen him play. But he is a really good player at Barnsley. He was deadly and just such a brute up front, Monty. He was just barging defenders out of the way, but he's so ridiculously quick as well. But, you know, when someone has had three injuries in the space, two of them serious at the very least, in the space of, what is it, eight months now... Mm-hmm then you start to wonder, is this going to be a reoccurring thing? So, I mean, it, it depends a lot on how serious this injury actually is, but the fact that Steve Bruce has been hinting that they may have to sign another striker isn't promising, is it? So hopefully we do see a fit Daryl DK eventually in a West Brom shirt, but until un, at this moment, very moment in time, you can't really say much else, can you? Because it's just really, really sad. Coventry midfielder Callum O'Hare is set to miss two months because of a hamstring problem. That's according to Footy Insider, who say Burnley are no longer interested in him as a result. Norwich defender Dimitris Junoulis will be out for eight weeks after his ankle injury he suffered against Wigan. Bristol City owner Steve Lansdowne says he's open to selling them for the right deal. He became chairman in 2002 and says he's not actively looking to sell, but is after new investors to help the club progress. Speaking to BBC Bristol, he said, I'm 70 this month and the family has been involved for a long time and we can't keep doing it forever. Um, That's interesting, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, hopefully it's... I mean, yeah, hopefully it's really good news for Bristol City and, and by no means am I comparing him to... Derby's former chairman, Derby's former chairman Mel Morris, but Mel Morris said exactly the same things. Doesn't want to sell the club, just wants to look for new investment, and then it all went tits. Um, so I'm not saying they're going to go that way, but it is it is slightly concerning because I think these f- supporter-led owners are much more safe, but they're much safer custodians than outside investment you know if you look at the likes of you compare Middlesbrough to Birmingham City for example you can see Birmingham City have had um, foreign ownership for the last 10 years it's been a very bad 10 years for them Middlesbrough have had Steve Gibson in charge since the <laughs> mid to late 80s um, so it's it, it concerns me a little bit as to where Bristol City would go from here hopefully Steve Lansdowne picks the right personnel um, to, to come in and invest or take over um, 
that's the only thing and I think every fan would would have that concern should their very generous owner look to want to sell I think you're being very you, you, you're probably showing the scars of um, <laughs> Derby and uh, where they are now Justin um, I don't think this is anything to be worried about as he says as he says he is 70 this month yeah. and so he is getting on a bit now so the club has got to go somewhere eventually with a new owner so hopefully is just a case of just getting new people in and showing them the ropes before eventually one of them becomes the owner of the club. I think we're talking some way down the line before we ever have to worry about that. And finally, Coventry have had to play their midweek game in the Carabao Cup against Bristol City at Burton Albion's Pirelli Stadium. It's because of ongoing concerns about the state of the pitch at the Coventry Building Society Arena, which led to the game against Rotherham being postponed at the weekend. I mean, is this just going to be a common thing now, Justin, where Coventry are having to play their home games for the foreseeable future at random grounds around the Midlands. <laughs> well, we said our fair on Sunday, didn't we? After recorded the episode when the news initially broke that that pitch will not recover this season. It will have to be relayed. Otherwise, it's just going to be some weird patchwork. And I'm no gardener. I'm not green-fingered. Grass does take a while to grow, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It, it's just it a case just... of relaying a pitch, isn't it? I, that's what I always thought it was. Well, I don't know how simple that is. I, I can remember, can you remember Birmingham City, sort of the mid two thousands, where their pitch was just covered in sand at one point. I mean, they managed to play on it, but that pitch needed relaying. I know there was a case recently where they needed to relay a pitch. I can't remember. I can't remember who who it was now. It's going to bug me. Um, but it's not a quick process, and it's also not cheap either. It costs a hell of a lot of money for a football club. So I, I can imagine why Coventry City are frustrated because not only are they disrupted playing wise, but also financially, it's going to cost a lot. Who foots the bill? I don't know. Will Will London Wasp want to foot the bill because they can they can play on their that pitch, but Coventry can't. So, I yeah, I'm honestly I'm, I'm a bit dumbfounded as to what happens and who sorts it because, as I say, that pitch needs relay. Hmm. Right. Shall we give this a go? Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? <laughs> yes, this is the part of the show where we have. T- <laughs> do you do all that, Justin? Enjoy that. He's gone. Um, This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and the club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. This is Diddy or Dinty, by the way, if um, that wasn't obvious. Uh, We take it in turns to guess them each week and we keep a score as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess after Justin got six in the first week. So it's time for me to make my first tally. Justin, can I have the first player, please? Tom Lees and Hull City. I wasn't in the right mindset heading into this. Um, I'm going to go yes. I think he did. You think he played for Hull? Yeah. He didn't play for Hull. Great start. Okay. Fantastic. Next one, please. Chris Martin and Luton Town. Yes, I remember that one. That's footballer Chris Martin, by the way, not Coldplay. Oh, cheers. Cheers. I'm going to have to change my guess now. I'm going to say yes. He did. I thought that might catch you out, but he made forty appearances in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. No, it's quite he had a goals. lot of a lot of loan spells, didn't he, Chris Martin? He did. I, th- I thought it might catch you out. Next one, wonderful. So that's one out of two for me. Do you want the next one? Yes, please. 
it's just you know, the anxiety is just going to start to increase right now. Well, I, I wasn't just sat here around waiting for a pizza, so you may as well hurry up, Justin. Martin Craney and QPR. Oh, God, why do you always include Martin Craney? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know anything about his career, Justin. Well, there we go. I am, uh, as we all know, I am a Martin Craney super fan, and he will make several appearances this season. I'm going to say no. You don't think he played for QPR? No, I don't. Well, he did because he made seven appearances in 2007 on a loan spell. It's the loans, isn't it? Always loans. Okay, one out of three. Bobby Zamora and Birmingham City. I'm going to say no to that one as well. Are you sure? Yes. Stop making me double think it. <laughs> you are correct. He did not play for Birmingham City. Yeah, yeah. He, he barely ventures outside of the South. Next one, please. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Brad Jones and Rotherham United. Bloody hell, Brad Jones. That's someone I've forgotten about. Um, I've, pl- I've plucked this one. I'm going to say he did. You're going to say he did play for Rotherham? Yes, that is what I'm saying, Justin. He had a loan spell in 2003. Wonderful. But Wonderful he did not make stuff. an appearance. Oh, come on. No, Justin. <laughs> Justin right. I said last week, I made it very clear... You said academy prospects. No, right. I said I wouldn't include any players who have been at a club but didn't make a senior appearance because that's just bad sportsmanship. I said I'm going to play the game my way and I'm playing it my way. Well, You shafted me last season with your... Did I? Cheating. Well... You can keep doing that, but I know who's going to win in the honourable game. <laughs> Definitely me. So two one? out of five, is that? Two out of five, it is. Disgusting. Next one, please. Jermaine Pennant and Wigan Athletic. Yes, I, I think I do remember that. This passed me by, but he did. Again, I think yeah. he's my own spell. I, I do recall him in a Wigan shirt. Next one, Play- please. Played 13 games in 14-15, by the way. Scored three goals. Oh, great. Wonderful. Well done, Jermaine. Next one. Yes. Lee Catamol. You, you, you don't have to keep asking me, by the way. You can just you can just rattle on. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to ease you in. I want to also get in your head a little bit as well, because this it really is a stressful game. Uh, Lee Catamol and Stoke? Yes. No chance. Striped shirt, aggressive footballer? No chance. You're right. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Never in a million years. <laughs> Again, I don't think he's left the North East, actually. No. Um, <laughs> Nick Blackburn and Black... Uh... <laughs> 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 Nick Blackman and Blackburn. <laughs> I hope he did play for Blackburn. Um, who did Nick Blackburn play for? Reading, Derby... I think he was one of those who was loaned around a lot, but I don't think he played for Blackburn. He made one appearance in the Premier League, 2011-2012. That is is brutal. I thought it was a loan spell. I thought it was a loan spell, but he was contracted at Blackburn for a couple of years. When? Exactly. Yeah, completely random. Um, How many have we done, Justin? Uh, We've done seven. No, uh, wait, one, two, three. To an eight, we're going to try ninth. Cool. So I've got four out of eight, two remaining. David Button and Charlton Athletic. Bloody hell! I 
could not tell you David Button's career prior to West Brom. Actually, he was at Brentford, but apart from that, nothing. Um, Charlton, I reckon he did. I was going to say, maybe if you knew where he started out, you, you might get it, but he, you're right, he did. So he started out at Spurs, so a lot yeah. of unknowns. I, th- I vaguely recall him playing ahead of Nick Pope at one point at Charlton, I think. I'm maybe getting my years mixed up, and that rings a bell. Maybe, I think it was Ben Hamer territory, but not surprising either. Final one, Sam Johnson and Cardiff City. (sighs) Sam Johnson's had a few clubs. That is ringing a bell. I'm thinking when they had the red shirts, I'm thinking he played around that kind of time. Your final answer, yes. You convinced yourself that he played for Cardiff City, yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, he didn't, unfortunately. No, no, no. I mean, he, he played for a few clubs, didn't he? So, not alone spells. That was a bit of a coin flip, really, as to how accurate that one is. But there we go, I got five out of ten, which I don't think is a bad start considering you got six on the first week, Justin. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a difficult game, and I, I think I threw in some really hard ones as well. I was a bit harsh on the, uh, this one. Well, the Brad Jones one. No, I'm no, sorry. No. You should you should hang your head in shame for the rest of the day. I'm afraid we didn't lay out any rules. We just said, please, Justin. No, it's about me. sportsmanship. It's about doing the right thing. The, yeah, no, it's, it's it's not because these games put the fear of God in me. I straight they stress me out and they ruin my weeks. So. Sportsmanship can do one. Just impeach the Allardyce of <laughs> did he or didn't he. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We will be back again on Sunday to talk about all the games coming up this weekend as well as all the news that's happening over the coming days. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.